This is Christianity in Action, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia. At First Pres, we strive to bring God's hope and joy to a world that desperately needs it. For more info, visit 1stpresalbany.org. Hey folks, J.D. Sumner here from First Pres Albany. Um, today's episode deals a lot with Mark chapter 11, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for the first time since he was a little boy, um, claiming his rightful spot um, as king uh, and then all the ensuing action that happens there. You'll hear Reverend Josh Bauer go into how this triumphant, magnificent, singular event conjures up images of this power and this confidence that has um, trickled down through the ages into literature and other other spaces. Um, it gives us a really good visual of what it must have been like to have been there when Jesus walked through the gates of Jerusalem, claiming it as his own. We hope you enjoy this podcast, uh, this episode in the series. And without further ado, here's the Reverend Joshua Bauer with a sermon titled, The Return of the King. So this morning, we're to the point in Mark's gospel where As we said, chapter 8 was kind of the hinge point. Now they're on the way to Jerusalem. This chapter they arrive. This chapter they arrive. Uh, You know a lot of what happens next. Here's the build up to it. Let's pray. God, by your Holy Spirit, as we open your word, open our hearts. Open our minds. Give us understanding. Give us comfort. Give us conviction to hear and to follow, to join in the processional and declare you king over our lives. We ask it in your holy name. Amen. And remember, you have a part in this. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's word. Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem. They got as far as Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. When Jesus sent two of his disciples on ahead with a specific task, go to the village over there, he said to them, and as soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied up, one that nobody has ever ridden before. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing that? Then say, the master needs it and he will return it at once. They went off and found the colt tied up beside a door out in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They gave the answer Jesus had told them, and they let them carry on. So they brought the colt to Jesus and laid their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Several people spread out their cloaks on the road. Others did the same with the foliage they had cut in the fields. 
Those in front and those coming behind shouted out, Hosanna! Welcome in the Lord's name. Welcome to the kingdom of David our father. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple and looked all around. It was already getting late. And he returned to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus is calling for you and for me. Four of the coolest words in all of literature. Aslan is on the move. You know what that comes from? That C.S. Lewis's classic children's allegory, a uh, Christian allegory, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. That's those four words is how they introduce Aslan in the story. And Aslan, even if you haven't read the book, you probably know he's the hero of the story. The great talking lion who happens to be the rightful king of the mystical land of Narnia where animals talk and all sorts of stuff happens that doesn't happen here. But when the book opens, Aslan isn't on the throne. Narnia is ruled by an interloper, an imposter. It's ruled by Jadis, the evil white witch. She had invaded Narnia, claimed the throne for herself, oppressed all the creatures of Narnia who did not pledge allegiance to her, and plunged Narnia into an eternal, depressing winter. The book says it was always winter, but never Christmas. To make matters worse, Aslan hadn't been heard from in ages. Some wondered where he'd gone, if he would come back, if we'd ever hear from Aslan again. When four human children are magically transported to Narnia, they're quickly hunted by the queen's secret police. They're on the run, and they find refuge in the hut of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, two animals in Narnia who'd remained true to the true king. And in that hut, the, the two beavers explain just how desperate and dire the situation is. And just when the explanation gets about as dark as it could be, Mrs. Beaver says, but there's hope. There's still hope, dear. And Mr. Beaver says, oh, there's a mite bit more than hope. And then he leans forward and whispers, Aslan is on the move. Here's the next thing that C.S. Lewis wrote. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment he had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps sometimes it's happened to you in a dream that someone says something in the dream which you don't understand. But in the dream, it feels like it has enormous meaning. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside. And it was true. Aslan was on the move. The true king had returned to Narnia and was rallying his followers to reclaim his rightful throne. And slowly but surely in the story, 
The sun came out and the snow melted and springtime came and evil was finally defeated. The true king ruled over his peaceful kingdom again. In the book, Aslan, of course, is a symbol for Jesus, the true king of all creation. And C.S. Lewis isn't the first person to use that powerful symbol for Jesus, the symbol of the lion. Since the very beginning of Christianity, Jesus the king has been pictured as a lion. Maybe the very first use is in the New Testament book, Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 says, Do not weep. You don't need to cry anymore because see the lion of Judah. The lion of Judah of the root of David has triumphed. From the very beginning, Jesus, the great lion, Jesus, the triumphant conquering lion who comes, who returns to claim his rightful throne. King Jesus, the lion who roars and returns to end the winter of despair and fear comes to dry his people's eyes and to invite them into the springtime of his kingdom. That's how Christians have always thought about Jesus. And it all starts with the story you just heard, with what we call today the triumphal entry. Now, when we talk about Jesus in the church today, we we certainly don't get everything right. But when we named that processional, we got that right. We nailed that. This is certainly the triumphal entry of the true king. The rightful king returning to God's holy city to claim what belonged to him and to him alone. So readers in ancient Israel, the story from Mark 11, would have just screamed every aspect of it. Here comes the true king. The group of people that's parading into Jerusalem that day, they were probably a caravan of pilgrims. And they probably traveled all the way from Galilee to, to Jerusalem. A trip of about 75 miles on foot. The whole way. The last leg of their journey would have been the worst. They had to travel mostly uphill through hot, dusty, dry desert all the way up to the Mount of Olives. But when they got there, all of a sudden, all at once, the land would turn green. And from that hill, they would have caught their first glimpse of Jerusalem, their destination, the holy city. And imagine their excitement when after this long brutal pilgrimage, they finally saw the city in its immensity, in its power on top of the hill. I don't even know what to compare it to. I remember the first time that I got off the metro in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol building and walked out and stood in front of that Capitol. Have you had that experience in your life in Washington where you say, ah, This is what they've talked about. You can't even describe it. The marble everywhere and everywhere you look. Symbols of power and majesty. But for these people, it was even more than that. Because this was the city. You said it at the beginning. Daughter Zion. Zion. This was where the Messiah would come from. This is where God's anointed would rule from and bring peace to the whole world. This city is where salvation would come from. And they had arrived. Imagine their passion and excitement. In this caravan, they weren't just making any trip to Jerusalem. They were going to celebrate the Passover. That's the reason they went on their trip. And the Passover was this celebration 
of freedom, of how God had freed his people from slavery in Egypt. But it was also a celebration of God's kingdom, right? Of God's rule. Because what did God have to do in order to free his people from slavery in Egypt? He had to overthrow the Pharaoh. He had to show the world who really was boss. It was time to celebrate God's kingdom because when God acted in Passover all those years before, God had definitively proved that there was only one true king in the world and it was not Pharaoh in Egypt in their ancestors' time and it was not Caesar or the puppet king who was Caesar's puppet king in Jerusalem at that time. There was one true king. So on their way to the city, they threw their cloaks out and they cut branches off and they waved. And these things make no sense. Why would you throw cloaks down? Why would you cut branches off and start waving them? But they had a purpose. Today, go home, open your Bible up to 2 Kings chapter 9. And you'll read there what's going on. Because there is one reason you would throw your cloaks down in front of somebody. And there's one reason you would wave branches in front of somebody. In that culture, they did those things when they had one thing happening when they were about to anoint a new king. When they were about to welcome a new king onto the throne to take control over whoever was there. The true king had arrived. And here comes the climax of the story. Where is the true king? He's riding on a colt. A colt which I wish I had the power, right? Go grab that thing I need. What should we tell them? Tell them I need it, and they'll be totally cool with it. I'll bring it back when I'm done. And it just happens. This is what happens when kings make decrees, right? You don't say no to the king. Uh, so Jesus makes that decree, and he's riding a colt, which, by the way, Zechariah, the prophet, said would be the animal that the true king would ride into the city. It's all over the place, and the people cry out, Hosanna! As we already said to the children this morning, this scream of praise and at the same time crying out for God's help all at once. And then they shouted out something that was as dangerous and rebellious as it was true. They shouted out, welcome to the kingdom of David our father. And just think about that for a second. They were claiming publicly as they walked into a city that was governed by a Roman-backed king that was in an emperor that was ruled by a Roman Caesar, they shouted out that Jesus from Nazareth was the one who had the right to rule. It had been handed down to him from his ancestor David. And now all the imposters and the interlopers were going to be tossed out. Like Jadis, the white witch, and like Pharaoh before them, the true king of the tribe of Judah had arrived. And the scene ends dramatically with silence. Silence. Jesus goes into the temple, looks around, just leaves. It wouldn't be crazy here to picture a lion high on a rock surveying his territory, 
slowly walking back and forth. One scholar says, Jesus surveys the ground here, not as a pilgrim, but as the sovereign Lord who has returned to his temple. The king had arrived, the true king had returned to overthrow every power that oppressed his people. The true king had returned to save his people, his people for all time, the ones who were with him that day and everybody who sits here this morning. The king had arrived. We always hear this story the week before Easter, at the end of Lent, but I wonder if it's better heard right where Mark put it, near the beginning of the season of Lent, when we still have a long, dusty road to walk before we get to the empty tomb. Maybe it's best to spend this journey of Lent picturing Jesus as a lion. Because, for real, have you ever been near a lion? An actual, real lion? Have you ever done it? You ever been there? You ever been to like Zoo Atlanta or something and been close to the lions? Allie Claire has, yes, and what you know, yeah, it's amazing. So about seven years ago, I took a family trip out to visit my folks in New York. We went to the Rochester Zoo because they had a brand new habitat opening up. It was Step Into Africa. Cool, you know, I had the elephants that had everything, so we stepped into the zoo and had the arrows, you know, follow the arrows, and the family caravan marched uh, all the way into the zoo, and I don't know why they decided to put it about five miles into the zoo, but by the time we got there, uh, we were not shouting Hosanna or, you know, ready to worship the king. No, we were ready to put hands around throats and, you know, all that, I'm tired, my legs hurt, I need water. <laughs> but then we got to the middle of that enclosure, and at the center of that step into Africa, was a pride of lions. And right there, up against the glass, was the pride male, and he was just sleeping. Right there, right in front of me. We're, I looked it up, how many inches of glass was there? Maybe three, maybe three inches between the king of the beasts and me. And I knelt down, so I was right there, and. My son knelt down next to me and I turned and said, you think I could take him? And he got this look of terror, please don't try to take him. Because that lion, he was enormous. He was majestic. His, his mane, the, the, the huge paws. One time as he was sleeping, he just stretched that paw out. Have you ever seen just your house cat do it and the nails flash for just a second? And he did that, but they were like this long. And his paws were like this. And his rib cages, it just went rhythmically up and down. And the muscles that you could see underneath the skin and the fur, it was awe inspiring. There's a reason that Christians have always thought of Jesus as that animal. Imagine something with that much raw power and might with that ability to just swat and end something with that 
power in their roar, with that kind of immensity about them. And then, imagine that creature so devoted and committed to you that he would die to protect you from anything that threatened you. That he would willingly give up his life and his power so that you would be okay. I think it fits to think of a lion pawing around in the hospital room when you're waiting for the test results or walking with you up to the nurse's station when you're about to ask where the test results are or walking back and forth on the presidential debate stage, just watching or sitting beside you when you pray. Because imagine a creature of that power drying your tears, putting that majestic paw around your shoulder or around the shoulder of those you love and you pray for. That's a Jesus we need. That's a Jesus who can sustain you through all the ups and downs and the struggles and successes of this life. And that is who Jesus is, King Jesus. The lion who ends the winter of our despair and our fear and dries our tears and invites us into that springtime hope of his kingdom. And that's perfect for the season of Lent. Because do you know what the word Lent actually means? I didn't until this week. The word Lent comes from a Latin word that means 40. This is not the exotic part. Like, oh, wow, 40. No, that's not it. Which means you have 40 days, 40 days of Lent. But that Latin word comes from an Old English word. And the Old English word means spring. The word Lent literally means springtime. So Lent is the season when we're supposed to remember that the Lion of Judah is still on the move. Jesus is on the move. To remember that in our world, we're so often, way too often, it feels like it's always winter and never Christmas. That springtime is coming. To remember that there really is only one true king, and he returned a long time ago to claim his throne, and he's ruled from it ever since and still does, to be reminded over and over again until we believe it in our bones that as sure as Jesus rode into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to shouts of, he is on the move today. And slowly but surely the sun is going to shine and the snow is going to melt and the springtime will come and evil will finally be defeated. And the true king will rule over his peaceful kingdom for all eternity. And you're going to live there with him. May that truth comfort you and sustain you. Today, through Lent, and always. Amen. This is Christianity in Action, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia. For more info, visit 1stprezalbany.org.